The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Well, the A's have been making a bunch of top 10 lists lately. I, we were uh, top 10. Coliseum was second worst ballpark, top 10 in uh, baseball. <laughs> Yay. Next to the Trop. Uh, you sent out a doozy that uh, we're in the top 10 of pitchers least likely to get hurt. That's a positive. And got a ton of pitchers, too. We got a lot of pitchers. And, and you know what? Wouldn't you say in the world that we're in, where we know you're going to use a lot of you're going to use a lot of just not starting pitchers. I know we talked a lot about that last year. You're just going to use a boatload of pitchers. I mean, mm-hmm. the team that's probably been the most successful at has been the Rays, and they shuffle guys back and forth from AAA like it's like like you're doing the shuttle from the Disneyland hotel to Disneyland. So it's like, yeah. I mean, you, the good thing you can't me, have too much pitching. Exact having a bunch of good pitchers is a good thing. Yeah, the the average team uses seven heavily and uh, ten starting pitchers over the course of the season, and that's the average team. I mean, some teams are out there using twelve and fifteen. Yeah, that that's it's crazy, but that's that's where we are, and depth is really so key. So now that we're sitting here on the third, and you start to get the what's getting you what's getting your juices going, what's getting you fired up, as you know, pitchers and catchers, spring training right around the corner. Yeah, I've been doing uh, a lot. We talked about this on last year, last week's show, the sort of 80th and 20th percentiles, because I think it's a fun way to capitalize on the fact that we're all, um, you know, kind of uh, optimistic right now. You know, like spring is when you're like, yeah, yeah, we still have a chance. You know, August is uh, when we get depressed, you know, <laughs> so. Uh, 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 or it could be uh, July. Could be and, July, and my also, friend. <laughs> You know, it's also just like it's the it's the time of progress prognostication. Mostly the moves are done. You know, it's not so much a, about who you might sign anymore. You know, it's like there's not that much uh, not that many guys out there to sign. So now it's more about who's going to be good, who on like for if you're a team like the A's, who's going to step forward. Uh, and if you're a you know, if you're a team. Uh, like the Padres or something, like how good can they be? You know, so it's a real time to kind of look forward, trying to make the right guesses. And uh, it's a fun time of the year, I think. You know, for example, um, you know, over at Fangraphs, there was do, the, uh, Ben Clemens did some research and he was looking at, you know, we have this thing called maximum exit velocity, right? It's like the just the hardest you hit the ball, you know? And I think it really ports over to a scouting idea, which was raw power, right? So I think. You know, if you've hit the ball 120 miles per hour, you have good raw power. Maybe you hit into the ground. Maybe you need to unlock that raw power, but you have good raw power. Um, So he used maximum exit velocity and then actual results um, to kind to kind of try and find players that broke out by basically tapping into their raw power more. And Dermis Garcia made the list. Uh, he, he found a way that was predictive in the past that uh, that that predicted bl- uh, breakouts and other guys on the list are like O'Neill Cruz, for example, you know, guys with uh, with tons of power that pretty obviously could tap into it. But, uh, you know, like Jesus Sanchez on the on the Marlins. It's a it's a fun list. And Dermis Garcia is on the list. And basically what the article was saying was if Dermis uh, and players like him can improve the contact rate at all. Uh, there's a real chance for breaking out. 
that's uh, maybe obvious to anybody who watched Hermes last year. I mean, he yeah. struck out 44% of the time. But I think this is saying even if he only strikes out 33% of the time, you know, that may not seem like that that's enough, but that might be enough for him to really tap into the power. And if you look in the minors, he did have some really kind of eye-popping numbers in 2021, 31 homers in double a for, uh, for the Yankees and 443 plate appearances. So, you know, we're talking about a guy that may never hit for a good batting average, but if he can strike out 33% of the time, 30% of the time, 30, even 35% of the time, he might be a guy who can hit 200 with 30 homers. Um, and that, you know, it's not the prettiest uh, collection of, of, of skills, uh, but it is something that the A's could use. We got a flawed system going right now with teaching. We really do. You guys did a great job, the athletic, talking about how hitting coaches, it's like a horrible job. And, you know, we yeah, are. That's a good piece by Cody Stavenhagen. Yeah. yeah. The average tenure is, is under two years. So it's a joke. Basically, right? you're getting a new hitting coach every year. Yeah. So it's like, you know, here I am as a professional, and you want me to trust this guy. You want me to trust him. I mean, because there's so much that goes on with being a pitching coach and a hitting coach and, and, and what you go through with these guys and the trust factor and everything. I mean, it's lots of mental, also physical, everything. You also have your, your dad in your ear. And then you have your, your, like your local coach that you work with. In well, the that's new, here. right? Cause now, and now I understand why wouldn't I have one of those guys? Because I know because that the, guy's going to be there. My hitting right. coach is not going to be there. I know he's going to be gone. Right. So, so getting back to Dermis and I see that he hits two Oh seven. We've got a problem with approach, lack of making contact. You still got to have the skill of putting the bat on the ball. And the fact that you randomly, because it'd be random, if you're hitting 207, all of a sudden you pop one out and everybody goes, ooh, you need to hit the ball. You need to hit the ball more. What is going on with our teaching of how baseball players hit you have to be able to make contact on a more consistent basis to be successful but who's teaching what how are we teaching it who's in charge a guy that's that's not with the team versus a guy that's on the team it's fashionable to sort of blame the launch angle swing or whatever um and i'm working on a piece that there's actually some truth to it but it's not i think what people think i think people think that like people have golf swings and uh and that's why they can't make contact they have these loopy swings and for power and that's and that's where the strikeouts come into play um i think in fact what it is is um power lives out in front of the plate and you know if you catch the ball out in front of the plate that's when you pull a homer right you get it out in front of the plate you got to get the barrel Uh, out you got to get the barrel out and that's just when like that's when the barrel is coming up, like in front of the plate, the barrel is coming up, you know, instead of, you know, really back, it's going down in the front of the plate, it's going up a little bit. And that catches the ball at just the right angle. Bam, Homer. The best thing in baseball to do is Homer. So if you, and then the other part is the best thing for a pitcher to do is throw it hard. So what's coming to what's happening at this moment is that the hitters have to start earlier. They have to start their swing earlier because the guys are throwing 95. Now the average is up to 93.9. Like we're talking about the average fastball in baseball is 94 miles an hour. So if you need to catch a 94 mile an hour pitch, not, not late and serve it into right field. No, that's okay. But you get paid for homers. And so what you need to do is start earlier. And if you start earlier, you're going to mess up. You're going to strike out more. 
That's where the strikeouts come. It's not necessarily a mechanics of what your barrel is doing in the zone or what your swing looks like. It's about the fact that 95 miles an hour is making us start so early, making the hitters start so early that if they want to hit for power, they're just going to have to strike out a lot. You know, it's so interesting about fastballs is a, we're throwing less fastballs than ever before. Right. And then not all fastballs are equal. Like who was the big, um, who was the big guy we got from Kansas city last year? The reliever who came in, we got him from the Royals. He threw a hundred and he stunk. Joel Piamps was the Piamps? No, no, not Piamps. It was the big dude. I'll look it up. He threw a hundred and yet everybody barreled him. And then you got a guy like Lance Lynn, who he doesn't throw 100, and all he does is throw his fastballs. He's successful. So not all fastballs are equal when it comes. You can have a better fastball without it being a higher velocity. It's just for some reason, some guys are tougher to see. So whether you're throwing 94, tougher to see, or you're throwing 100 and everybody's seeing it, barreling it up, all fastballs are not created equal. Yeah, guns. that's a big part of the the stuff plus research I was doing. It was Tapia, really uh, that's interesting. It. Yeah, remember Tapia? It? Tapia could throw a hundred and he couldn't get oh, anybody yeah. out. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's unfortunate. The fastball shape, I think, is just as important as uh, as as fastball velocity. Yeah, uh, or maybe just 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 below it. But um, yeah, the uh, the the, the you got to have ride to get above it, or you got to have tremendous uh, sink to get below it. And uh, and if you're caught in between, basically what happens is the 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 batters are like they're training for they they've seen you the most. If you're the if you have the average fastball, they've seen you the most, right? They can be like, oh, I've seen a hundred guys like this. If you if you're Tyler Rogers coming from underneath. They have to see you a lot before they're like, oh, I know what this is like. You know, imagine seeing Tyler Rogers for the first time. You're just like, what was that? (laughs) So being weird in baseball is better. And that usually means trying to have some ride so it stays up or having tremendous amount of sync. So, yeah, I I, and that is a little part of where teams are separating themselves. And and unfortunately, I'm I'm afraid that um, it's part of uh, where the A's are a little behind. And I know they're they're trying to do some work. Um, I know that uh, Pike Goldschmidt, their the A's uh, R and D guy, um, has now moved into more of a player development aspect, where he's trying to infuse all of their player development work with the kind of R and D findings, you know. Uh, and that's going to be really important for the A's because I think they've fallen behind there. Honestly, they in terms of uh, coaching in the minor leagues and even some of their uh, hitting and pitching coaching in the major leagues. I think that they're bottom third in the league right now. And for all the fans out there, research and data, when you say R&D. R&D, that's research right. Research yeah. and data. Um, yeah. And that's that's something that I think you're going to see. I mean, you, you, you do this with uh, a lot of different franchises. You're re- you do your research. You have your own R&D, and you find out that if you look at the teams that have had the most success, yeah, you can talk about money and they're paying this and paying that, but – there is something about your your R and D. Look at what the Astros have. Look at what the da- look what the Dodgers have. Even Chris Bassett was here and talked about the Mets, how it's far more developed than what he saw with the A's. There's something too. Your R and D department and how you u- utilize it can really help. You know, factor in not only what you're doing at the big league level, but how you're training guys once they get to the big leagues. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a it's an interesting thing. The the thing that the A's are still good at, I think, is uh, identifying close talent that has a high floor uh, in other organizations and and sort of cherry picking. And the way that that kind of helps them along, even when they uh, don't have their own great player development, is they're kind of snagging players from that have been mostly developed by other teams. Yes, <laughs> we're great at taking other people's. You know, right. <laughs> we find treasures when other organizations they 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 may are down on players. We have done a great job ever since really the run started in 2012 of taking other people's players, kind of unknowns. Like when we took Mark Cannon in the Rule Five draft, no one was like, "Wow, that's going to be a great move." Yeah, and then played him in center. Like I think Milwaukee thought he wasn't uh, a great first baseman, you know. And then, you know, Oakland was like, no, he can play the outfield. He can play center. And then and then all of his numbers look a lot better, you know, because if you have to be a first baseman, you have to be like 10 percent better than the league average of the bat. You have to be a, a really good as a first baseman. But when they as soon as they put Ken on the outfield, you're like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, he was he was a good outfielder. So, um, yeah, I think they're, they're good at that. That's the thing that's keeping them afloat. But they need to get better at developing their own guys. Um, I think it's been a little while. I mean, we had Chapman and Olsen, but, you know, you know, other than that, you're kind of looking for some, some wins internally. So now we're starting, it's February. We're getting our list. We're getting our power rankings, which all this means absolutely nothing, but we all have to, (laughs) we have to play these games. It's kind of like, it's kind of like mock drafts in the NFL. This is my sixth mock draft. This is, you know, it's like, okay, here we go. Um, but when you look at the teams that you believe, what are some of the characteristics of the teams when you say this team is a legit com- uh, contender to win the World Series or maybe the next tier where I, I got to give them a shot? When you look at the upper tier teams, what are their characteristics going into spring? You say they got this and that's why I believe. Yeah, I think one of the things that's underrated in terms of uh, in terms of figuring that out is depth. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I look at beyond just the star power, because I think star power is pretty easy to see. That's where we look and we we say, you know, oh, the Rangers, Degrom and Simeon, and you know that's great. But where the Rangers are lacking is is in depth, and the reason that the Dodgers. Uh, have won so many games is they have depth. They have, they have guys that can play multiple positions. They have guys who can cover each other at different positions the, in case the worst case scenario happens, they can cover it, you know? So that's something that I look for. And that's why a team like, you know, the Phillies, when they signed Josh Harrison, I think that's great. You know, the, the when the A's sign Josh Harrison or get Josh Harrison, it's to start. You know, when the Phillies do it, it's to back up. It's to, you know, that's that's what you can do when you have a, a ton of money um, is is sign these starting quality players to, to back up. One of the greatest signings that people, uh, I, I think, didn't make sense of when, when it happened was D.G. LeMahieu to the Yankees because they said you already ha- they already have four infielders. Why are they signing D.G. LeMahieu? He gets 500, 600 plate appearances a year, and he hasn't been the most amazing player, but imagine – if the A's were so good that DJ LeMahieu was the backup plan, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so that's something that I think uh, separates, separates them. And I think that the, the top teams understand that. I mean, the Mets just signed Tommy Pham to be like their fifth outfielder. Um, and uh, you know, I think that most teams get it, but 
uh, a team like the Astros, um, you know, over time, it's over time, they're losing their depth. You know, you need they need somebody to kind of step forward. Um, I don't know that uh, I even like their center fielder that much. I don't like their backup center fielder, you know, so it's like they they're they, they could be getting to they could start showing some of the some of their age and they, they may not be necessarily uh, a number one contender for me for the for for, for winning it all this year. All Even right. They just won it all. Yeah. All right. You got depth. What else? Uh, yeah, I look for uh, contact rates. I do like teams that that strike out uh, that don't strike out that much uh, because, uh, you know, the teams that did strike out last year uh, were, you know, the Angels, the Pirates. Uh, the Tigers, the Marlins, uh, that was, that's, those are bad teams. So uh, the only good team that, that struck out a lot was the Braves. Um, and I think they need to improve on that a little bit. So the, the teams that were really good and didn't strike out much, the Mets are up there and the Blue Jays. I love that Blue Jays. The Astros there. never strike out a lot. Yeah. They were second in strikeout rate last year. So that's something they got going for them. So I like, I like, I like that. teams that can, can combine power without striking out. Yeah. I like that. All right. Well, give me a third. No, a third thing. Uh, well, this is the hardest actually. And um, I, I don't know if you can actually see it ahead of time. Uh, it's, it's just means a lot in retrospect, but bullpen strength. I mean, we're, we're asking now the bullpen to pitch half of the innings in the game, you know, and yet we kind of spend most of our attention looking at the rotation and looking at who's in the rotation. And if we do talk about the bullpen, we talk about, oh, yeah, they've got a good closer, you know, and, you know, that's good enough. <laughs> but uh, teams with great bullpen depth, uh, I think, uh, are, are great there. So the Guardians. Uh, not only do they have Emmanuel Classe, but they also have James Karinchak, who's a closer level guy. And then they have, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys that nobody ever knows, but they're always good as uh, as relievers, um, you know, as a, as a crew. So I think that that's also part of why the Rays are good every year. They they have so many arms and they're so good that their fourth reliever is a really good reliever. I think it's a great list, and I kind of add. And so when we talk, so like top three things that you just want to look at when you're evaluating your club depth. But the depth is really forty man. It's not your twenty six. It's your forty man. You you got to have a forty man depth. Uh, contact rates. You got to strike out less and bullpen strength because yes, every single year we're getting to that point to where it, it like creeps up. It was like forty six point five. Then it's forty seven or forty eight percent of all of the innings pitched are by your bullpen. So I like all three of those. I, I think they are good. I think they're good. If you had a surprise team right now that you said, you know. The easiest thing to do is, like, look at your, like, four hitter and, like, oh, yeah, we got, you know, this and this. And yeah, but your four may, hitter and... may get hurt, right? So it's yeah, like exactly. that's where the depth comes in. Is there anybody who you think is sneaky this year? Um, Let me see here. Uh, you know, if you just look at projections right now, it's Yankees, Padres, Braves, Mets, Dodgers. That's Padres that's, don't have a lot of depth. Yeah, I don't. I think they're actually lacking in depth a little bit. Yeah, I would agree with that um, because they had to. You know, Hassan Kim is a great depth piece as a depth piece. If he's now your starting shortstop, it puts a little pressure on like who's your backup shortstop. Like, who, what does that look like? Uh, what happens if Hassan Kim gets hurt? 
and Tatis is not back yet. Uh oh, you know, now it starts to look a little bit weird in there. So. Well, this is kind of where the A's have gotten better too. Is that signing a bunch of guys that are not fancy, they've actually improved their depth. Yeah, that's true for sure. Um, I, I think I don't know if it if it's uh if it's sneaky enough for you, but um I do like what the Blue Jays did this offseason. Um, uh, because right. you know it like they traded away Tasker Hernandez and you, that like that might not look good, but they really did use the money that they saved in the Tasker Hernandez trade to get better across the, the diamond. And so, you know, they had George Springer in center last year. Kevin Kiermaier and Dalton Varsho in center is going to be a lot better. You know, uh, they had Tasker Hernandez playing the outfield. I think to me, he's a DH. So now you have Springer in the corner outfield with Dalton Varsho and Whit Merrifield, right? And with Whit Merrifield and Santiago Espinal, they have two guys that can play everywhere on the diamond. Dalton Varsho, their center fielder, can play catcher. They yeah. could have four catchers on the on the on the roster, and and, it, and it's not a bad thing, you know. So they are really set up that they're like two or three deep at every position. Um, they're they're starting pitching. I don't love their starting pitching depth, but they do have some young guys that are stepping up. Um, and they have a sneaky, sneaky good bullpen, and they've added to the bullpen depth. So the only place that I'm nervous about the Blue Jays is really the back end of the rotation. And Chris Bassett as a four, uh, the one thing I believe in with Chris Bassett is innings. You know, I, I don't know exactly how good he'll be away from Oakland and in Toronto, and the walls are changing in Toronto, and so there's all this. I don't know exactly how it's going to play, but Bassett is a grinder, dude. I don't know if I've there, – there's no other player almost that – I would put that word on as much like he's a grinder walls are the walls closing in in Toronto. What's happening with the walls? The walls are coming in in places and going out in places and oh, going up. Now and going that place down. is already, it's already a bandbox. Well, they tried to make the walls higher in the places the walls are coming in. So in one place they're coming in 10 feet, but they're going, the walls are up four feet higher. So I'm sure what they did is try to analyze it so that it would be almost the same as before. The reason they're doing it, and this is actually kind of interesting from a uh, baseball as a business standpoint, they're creating more spaces that are not sitting spaces. And I think that this is the trend in 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 uh, in baseball. Drinking I think space. The Let's just call is, it what it is. It's drinking spaces. Yes, it it's drinking spaces. <laughs> but also, I think that not. I think there's an idea that like not everyone goes to the baseball game the same way. Yeah, not everyone goes to the baseball game and sits down and faces the field and watches every second. Who started this? Go, the A started with the treehouse. We were the, the trendsetters. That was a good one. Yeah, it was a good. I I always loved the treehouse. I thought that was a really good idea. So yeah, there's there's more and more movement towards that spaces that are not just you know. I'm going to sit you in a seat and point you at the field. It's more about uh, like being in a bar with the baseball game on, except it's the live baseball game. All right, let's end on this. Since we're talking spring, that we need spring is uh, what are we drinking in the spring? How do we, where do we go from your fall? You were heavier in the fall. Now you're going into spring. This is my favorite time of the year for my favorite kind of beer, which is the hazy pale ale. It's a four and a half percent beer. And so it's lighter on the calories and, uh, but you can still get the body and it's still nice and tasty. This is, uh, this is, uh, I, I have a new collaboration coming out that I'll announce soon, uh, with another one of these <laughs> four and a half percenters. So you can't contain this. this man. He's just growing. 
You're like a weed. You just continue this one's, to this grow. One's going, this one's paired with a sandwich. It's a sandwich. Oh, beer my combo. God. Next thing you know, you're going to have a soup and a salad, and you're going to have a beer. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'll have a restaurant. <laughs> you are the best. Let's play. You know what? You know how much you mean to us. We love having you on. You have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. But play the man his his uh, his closing. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Does your sandwich have like a name? The knuckleball, baby. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you next week. It's pork, of course, right? Oh, I love it. See you guys. Oh, Eno's the best. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.